Hi pals, this is Blaine Hill with the Simply Stated Podcast for the Journey Sunday School class at Lake Murray Presbyterian Church in Chapin, South Carolina. This season of the podcast is on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Last week we talked about self-indulgent lust and today we're reading Matthew chapter 5 verses 31 to 2 which are about divorce and so in some sense about marriage as well. Just want to remind you, in addition to trying to simply state the parts of the passage and their meaning, we're using a four-part framework to understand the scripture as well. The first is a question about person. What did what do Jesus' words reveal about who he is? Second, theology. What ideas, what theological ideas can we draw from this teaching? And the Sermon on the Mount is about how we live, so we're going to look at ethics. What ethical teaching or guide can we take from the passage? And then we're going to look at eternity. How does this teaching link our everyday life and the kingdom of heaven? But first, let's read the passage and try to get the pieces simply stated. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Well, we don't have the vivid imagery of the last two passages, burning garbage, severed hands, plucked eyes, but the words are really abrupt. They're bracing. They're upsetting. Kind of startling, too. But let's uh, go through the passage and make sure we understand what's being said. Um, once again, Jesus offers a contrast. It was, you have heard it said, it was also said in this case, but I say to you, there will be six of these uh, contrasts that Jesus offers. Um, and in doing so, he is trying to do his work of fulfilling the law, which he laid out as, as his program. Well, what is Jesus talking about here? Is it just divorce as we understand it today? Uh, it, it wasn't. His subject is the a, a man's desire to get rid of an unpleasing woman, uh, which men often hold as pretty important. Um, so that's his topic. It's more than just divorce. It's a, the relationship between men and women. And here, Jesus, when he says, you've heard it said, he's not simply commenting on and fulfilling one of the Ten Commandments um, like don't murder or don't commit adultery. Really here, Jesus is talking about a regular practice in the ancient world. And uh, that practice was this. If a man kicks his wife out of the household, he should provide her with proper documentation. You can see that referenced in Deuteronomy 24, though that passage isn't laying out the rules for divorce. It's more talking about purity in God's people. That's a passage for another day. It's important to note that Jesus' view would have been shocking in his day too, startling. I don't, I don't know if it would have been as startling as it is to us, but it would have been unsettling to people, and that's probably on purpose. Jesus, once again, seems to be being intentionally provocative. Another thing we need to understand about divorce uh, in that time was that divorce was basically a male institution. What I mean by that is it seems that women couldn't initiate a divorce or survive in public without uh, documentation of a divorce. Without those divorce papers, a woman is reduced, uh, perhaps likely to prostitution, 
And even that misery might be taken from her uh, because she would know to be married in whatever place she lived. She would be unable to remarry. Uh, here we kind of long to hear Jesus say, Blessed are the powerless. So Jesus is looking at, at, at that as the, the situation of divorce. By that I mean that women are unable to get relief from a burdensome marriage uh, or violence in a marriage uh, on their own, but they were subject to um, the whims of a husband. Uh, it's hard to know the actual practice in, in the people of Palestine, of Israel in the first century, but that seems to be the case. And so Jesus is taking the side, um, he's taking a side in, in debate about divorce in his day. Some rabbis taught that you could divorce for almost any reason. And others said, no reason. Here Jesus gives the reason of unchastity. And, and that's a, a bit of a tricky word. It's a curious old-fashioned word in English to begin with. But the Greek word that Matthew writes is actually helpful. It's porneia, which gives us the word pornography in English. And it seems to certainly include sexual infidelity. Some folks, uh, some commentators want to say that it, it includes the discovery of a woman being sexually active before she was married. Uh, that just seems pretty unlikely. And maybe it, it's more um, helpful for us to think about it, to paraphrase it by saying uh, this unchastity word, it means a corrupting breach of marriage. For example, um, we can see that domestic violence is enormously destructive in a breach of the marriage vows. Um, and and so the, the that seems to be uh, a possibility we, we certainly have to consider that uh, violence in a marriage, almost always of a man towards a woman, of course, is that uh, something that destroys the marriage and poisons it. The, uh, the the language that Jesus uses is really puzzling here. I mean, he says, makes the woman an adulterer. Can you make someone else an adulterer? Um, uh, Dale Bruner translates that as drives her to adultery as a lack of a, a way to live decently. And this brings up one of the difficulties of thinking about divorce, teaching, considering it, is that it is a public um, reality. Unlike um, resentment or a leering look, though that's a little bit public, uh, divorce is a, literally a public act, a public document. And um, so it, it, it just is a different matter, it seems, than what Jesus has talked about up till now. I think we have to consider for sure the idea that Jesus is using hyperbole here. Remember that Jesus has talked about um, uh, basically cussing at someone else is going to get you dragged in front of the Supreme Court. And, and then he talked about the remedy to a leering look being to pluck out your eyes. So is he using hyperbole here as well? I think that's really possible that he is he's using provocative language and my clue there is the passages before and the idea of causing someone else to commit adultery. Of course the final thing is the idea behind a divorce is that a person could remarry. If a person can't remarry in what sense are they really divorced from the person that they're married to? Now in considering this I want us to pull in another passage of that Jesus teaches from, or where we hear Jesus' voice in the 19th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. In the 19th chapter, this is what Jesus said, starting in the third verse, some Pharisees came to him to test him. 
and to test him, they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? Well, the first thing we need to notice there is that the Pharisees, they were a religious group, not unlike Jesus in many ways, but they, they are trying to test Jesus. They are not asking him really an honest question to get his teaching. They are testing and trying him. It goes on, and Jesus answered, Have you not read the one who made them at the beginning, made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. So he's quoting from the book of Genesis there. He goes on later to say, It was because you were so hard-hearted that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. Now there's a lot in that passage we could look at, but there are just a few things I want to point out because they illuminate his earlier teaching, the one we started with today. The first is, um, Jesus says to his audience, you were hard-hearted, so, and, and that's what allowed them to divorce their wives. We see again there, divorce was a, uh, basically a male institution in the day of Jesus. But more importantly, uh, he is pointing out the hard-heartedness of his hearers. And uh, we have to, so that gives us an important clue to see what Jesus is pointing at here is not simply a public legal institution like divorce, so he, he talks about that obviously. He's really getting at hard heartedness. So maybe Jesus' provocative hammer is like a, I don't know, a chisel. His provocative language is like a chisel to break up hard heartedness, um, stenosis of our spiritual hearts, so to speak. Um, can this is uh, this is a challenging passage, but I think we can get it clearly in our sights and understand that Jesus is not simply issuing another set of rules. He's trying to teach about hard-heartedness and soften, in, in the, particularly men's hearts, towards their family and to treat them with compassion and tenderness. Uh, to begin to say for ourselves, we want to confer goodness on those who are suffering or meek or poor in spirit, because God, that's how God teaches us. Well, now let's go on and look at our four questions and see how this passage might help us to understand uh, a little more deeply. The first, the person of Jesus, but this passage, again, it's a little surprising um, to find this in Jesus' mouth, um, but it teaches us that Jesus takes seriously our own marriages, and he wants them to, uh, to thrive, not simply survive. Um, it, it, it does seem like such a shift. Jesus has been so wry before, maybe even humorless, and suddenly he's turning starkly serious. And, and maybe that's to, you know, bring, sharpen our attention. Uh, or is he dealing with, uh, absurdity here like he was with plucked out eyes? It's also worth noting that, um, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, was criticized, was, I'm sorry, was beheaded for criticizing the marriage of one of the princes in the area, one of the kings, one of several Herods. John the Baptist was was beheaded for that. So that might give us some insight uh, into how Jesus thinks. So um, theology. Well, this passage helps us understand uh, Jesus' seriousness for marriage. And here I want to give uh, an illustration that I often use in talking about marriage. Marriage in the Bible is a covenant. And a covenant is a relationship that God uh, solidifies and seals together. 
A comparison I often use is to think about two pieces of metal that have been bolted together. A machinist puts a hole in them and puts a nut and a bolt. That's like a contract, and a good contract is designed to come apart. We can think of, I don't know, our, our cable provider or our cell phone provider. You, know, you agree to pay a certain rate for a year, and they agree not to raise the rate for a year. And uh, after the year's over, you can call them up and say, hey, I want to cut, I want to cancel this or I want to change. And as long as you send in that, that really expensive uh, TV box, they'll cancel it. Uh, but if you do it before the terms of the contract, you have to pay extra. All of that's laid out in the fine print that nobody bothers to read. A covenant is different, though. A covenant is more like two pieces of metal that have been welded together. And they're meant to stay together. Now, the truth is, you can take apart two pieces that have been of metal that have been welded together. But it takes a lot of pressure, a lot of force, or a lot of heat. And often the pieces of metal are damaged in the process. Now, that's like a covenant. A covenant is God sealing two parties together, two people in marriage, God and his people in the covenants of the Bible, sealing two things together, and they're supposed to stay together. And they will sustain a a lot more push and pull and tug and stress than pieces that are bolted together. Um, So that's just a little illustration that helps us to understand um, the, uh, the idea of marriage as a covenant. Now, it's also important, Jesus is certainly rejecting the idea of uh, just good enough justification. Jesus doesn't want us to live just good enough lives. Uh, he wants us to live experiencing the kingdom of heaven. And uh, doing just good enough is not his goal. Now, it's, we have to remember, he's also the one who is going to give his life for us. Um, this is the man who speaks these challenging words, sacrifices himself for these same people and for us. So he is always speaking with a goal of grace in mind. So that's some theology we might take from this passage. Ethics. Well, this this um, this seems to be right in the area of ethics. Um, I'm going to quote Martin Luther, the reformer in Europe. He taught that it it is good to forgive an occasion of infidelity in marriage. But, Ongoing sin that takes mercy for granted should be confronted. And so he found that Christians could divorce uh, if one of the parties has an ongoing pattern of infidelity. And he found that concurrent with the whole of Scripture. And I think uh, that insight is, is useful to help us to read a difficult passage in light of more illuminating passages. Jesus does uh, raise hard questions. Can disciples of Jesus divorce? Can they remarry? Uh, and the answer seems to be yes, though here Jesus is pushing uh, his di- disciples um, uh, to to try to resolve their marriage, and particularly resolving uh, pressing men not to be hard-hearted towards their wives. Um, Jesus here clearly rejects doing something wrong if we happen to follow the correct protocol. He seems to be pointing out here that doing a wrong thing in the proper way is still a wrong thing. And so we shouldn't, uh, we should seek to hold our marriages together. Um, it's important to notice here that uh, if two Christian people do get, are married together, that they have the disciples, they have the resources of Christian reconciliation available to them, that in the name of Christ, that they can forgive each other and be gracious. Um, 
gracious to each other. Here's an interesting ethical uh, suggestion I read about in one of my commentaries that Christians divorcing is a little bit like medical triage. Uh, sometimes, particularly in war or even in emergency rooms, uh, physicians and nurses will have to make the terrible and difficult decision to save some people, but at the same time, time waiting uh, to not treat others because they only have so many people. The idea of triage being that we can save several but we have to uh, uh, allow that another person will die. And so to save some people or some things, something else, the marriage may have to die. It's really a, to state it so starkly is really an unsettling idea, but I, I think it gets to the point. Another ethical principle we get from this is Jesus is not teaching us just a set of rules, always stay married, any more um, than he is allowing for divorce as long as the proper, proper protocols are, are kept. Jesus is not simply giving us a set of rules to live by. He is trying to shape us. Um, points out here that uh, ethical point that breaking covenant bonds, it's damaging. And Jesus wants to prevent hurt people and wants us to seek out preventing hurting other people. So the, those are some of the ethical ideas we can draw from this passage. What about eternity? Well, first, marriage is a covenant, and so it is meant to endure. It in some way seems to point past ourselves into a longer time frame than what our horizon might be. Uh, another point for eternity is divorce disrupts created order. Uh, and even though it saves people from destructive and corrosive forces, wickedness even sometimes, like betrayal and violence, we, we still have to recognize that Divorce is a, is a painful disruption. And as a pastor, I'd have to say that um, uh, I, I think people who have experienced divorce perhaps understand this uh, best of all, whether in their own marriage or the, mari- the, the, the divorce of parents. Uh, the closer people are to a divorce, the, the more they understand and experience, perhaps more pointedly, that, that divorce uh, is simply very enduringly painful. Um, as for eternity, I think we, this is always good to remind us that Jesus begins this teaching passage with grace and uh, a kind of benediction, literally pronouncing blessing on this crowd of people. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. We touched on the Beatitudes a few weeks ago. Well, um, this is certainly been a very challenging passage. It was curious uh, on this Sunday that we looked at the passage in Sunday school. Uh, we were uh, reading the prophet Jeremiah in worship as well. And Jeremiah, if you know anything about the prophet Jeremiah, he is uh, sometimes called the weeping prophet uh, because his prophecy is just filled with incredible sadness and a terrible news uh, for the house of Israel. But this Sunday... We were in the 31st chapter, which is filled with hope and a promise of a, a better future and God's faithfulness to his people. So it was very strange to hear, um, maybe not strange, but a little surprising to hear sharp words from Jesus that are bracing and hard and these wonderful words from the prophet Jeremiah as well. Well, pals, I appreciate you listening. And if you uh, have any thoughts or questions, boy, I would love to hear them. Uh, you can shoot me an email at bhill.lmpchurch at gmail.com. 
And um, I would love to hear from you or just give me a buzz or catch me in the hallway at church, uh, wherever suits you. Uh, Shoot me a text, whatever works. Thank you so much for your time today and God bless you as you seek to follow Jesus.